Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. So we are in a, a message series called It's a Wonderful Life, okay? I'm going to just say it a couple times. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Say it with me. It's a wonderful life. Again, it's a wonderful life. One more time. It's a wonderful life. Amen. Yes. It's a wonderful life. Some of you believe me? Some of you want to believe me? Some of you downright disagree, and some of you think I'm delusional. But wherever you find yourself today, I really want to encourage you, by the end of this message, you're going to have a more wonderful life than you came in here with. Amen? Amen. All right, but I also understand I'm not oblivious. I'm not naive. I understand that there's a lot of things happening in this world right now, and I understand there's a lot of wrong things going on, but there are also a lot of really right things happening in the world right now. You know, we can't ignore the wrong things that are going on. As believers, we are all called to warfare against things that are making our lives not so wonderful. That's our responsibility. However, I refuse to allow the wrong things to weigh me down and rob me of it, all the wonder that surrounds me. I refuse to allow it to weigh me down. Why would I want to be robbed of all of the wonder around us? I mean, especially in this season, can you guys even handle it? My Christmas tree was up on November 7th. I, you know, last year I had five, but I'm only doing two this year because we're in a temporary situation and it's a struggle to only have two, but I'm dealing with it every day when I walk in there's corners that don't have one in my house, but um, I mean, it's so beautiful, you guys. Like, do you recognize how beautiful it is to live where we get to live, to be a part of this kind of church that we have, to be able to be blessed, to go to a night of Christmas where we're gonna transform the city of San Diego, the Christmas in the, or like the crispness in the air in the morning. Don't you love it? I mean, my gosh. And then it gets, you know, dark at 4.30. I'm not a huge fan, but then there's more time for card games and fireplaces and all the things. It's a wonderful life when you look around. But I, I, I also understand that there will always be darkness in the world. There will always be darkness, and there will always be a battle between good and evil. There will always be a battle. But that does not mean that we always need to be fighting. The battle's not going anywhere, but we don't always have to fight. You know, I fully believe that we have to do our part, but then there's also a part that Jesus is going to do. And I think we make a mistake when we feel like the weight of the world and every problem of the world is on the weight of our shoulders. When we try to do God's part and play God, do you realize that you completely have steps outside of the plan and the purposes of God? You are playing God, and why would he ever extend grace to you to strive in the flesh to fight battles that don't belong to you? He allows you to strive to strain and stress when you are outside of his will, carrying weight that's not yours to carry because he wants to teach you a lesson that this is exhausting. Stop striving and trying to steal my parts. Let me do it so you can rest. 
You know, we can completely rest in the times of war. Psalm 23. Let's remind ourselves of this passage of scripture this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. Listen to that language. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, there can be an ease to the making or there could be force to the making. We get to choose that part, but at some point, he's going to make you lie down in green pastures and find rest. He leads me, are you following, besides still waters because they're available to you. He restores my soul. He restores it. He leads me again in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through, not pitch a tent and build a home, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because you are with me. We don't have to fear any evil because God is with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen to this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that imagery. God prepares a, a, a like a banquet table. Imagine what kind of table God would prepare for us. He's not shortchanging anything. He isn't buying the $2, two-buck chuck at Trader Joe's for you. He... I mean, think about the table God would prepare for his kids to enjoy. And he says, I'm preparing a table for you in the midst of your enemies. Meaning you can still sit. You can still rest. You can still enjoy. You can be refreshed. You can laugh and have fun at his table, even though your enemies surround you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even though there will always be warfare, we can live in peace. We can live in peace. The war can be raging out there, but I'm telling you, friends, the war does not have to wage within Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So the Bible tells us that when we pray, and give our requests to God, tell him what we need, the troubles that we're facing, we should actually get a receipt that's handed to us that says peace. So after we pray, we should have the receipt of peace. If we don't have a receipt of peace and we are still at war, I want to put it to us today that we might have a trust issue with our Heavenly Father. Do we actually believe that he will do what he, say, he said he would do? Do we actually believe that he can work all things to together for good? Do we actually believe that he's going to watch over his word to perform it? Do we actually believe that our prayers will not return void? Because if we did believe those things, 
we would be able to give our requests to God and then we can be in peace knowing that he is working on our behalfs. So we may have a trust issue with the Lord or maybe we don't have a trust issue but we have a meditation issue. Because the Bible says we should have peace after we pray, but then in order to keep our peace, the Bible instructs us on what to be meditating on. We cannot be meditating on so many things that are out in the world that we're again easily robbed of our peace. The Bible says to meditate on things that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of a good report, that are true, which is the word of God. So do we pray in faith, believe and do our rah-rah in our prayer closet and we step back outside and remind ourselves of all the trouble and the woes? Or do we meditate on the things that are true, that God's got it, that he's working, that he's moving, that he is the one who's the savior of your soul? Like, do we meditate on the right things in order to keep our peace? Let our peace not be momentary, but a peace that we live with no matter what is going on around us or that surrounds us, amen? Amen. We need to be mindful of the spiritual diet we're intaking. Because some of us, I think, can handle degrees of the world's information and others cannot handle as much. Because if you devour everything that the world is putting out there and all the troubles and all the chaos, if you consume, if 80 to 90% of your diet is on that and only 10% is the word of God, I guarantee you, you will not have much peace in your life. We need to be aware and acknowledge and pray and warfare, but the majority of our diet needs to be the word of God and faith and declarations and the prophetic words being declared over our lives and our city. Amen? John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you know that God knew everything that would be happening in the world right now, that God knows everything that you're personally going through, and he still says, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. He means it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I've learned in this life that I cannot control the things that happen to me or around me, However, I can control the level of peace I live with on the inside of me. It's a long journey, not one that I've always succeeded in, but it's a journey worth pursuing. Peace. So if God has given us a peace that surpasses all understanding, which means that there can be complete chaos everywhere, but we can still have peace. That's what it means. It's supernatural because we should be freaking out. But we're not. Supernatural peace. But then why do so many of us not live with it? You know, I think we could do an entire series on peace. I really believe it. The things that rob us of it, that take from us, you know, the things, how we can live with it. I mean, we could preach for weeks on peace. However, today I really felt that the Lord would need to focus on one main thing that I believe is one of the biggest robbers of peace in our lives. And that's unforgiveness and bitterness unforgiveness. I'm convinced I've, see, I've been around too long. In my 45 years, I have never yet someone that's riddled with unforgiveness and bitterness that is fully enjoying the abundant life that God has promised us. 
So I want to talk about that today. And, and really why I wanted to really save this message for today is because, I mean, I just know the last few years there's been a lot of strain on relationships and family and division and, and um, you know, broken ties and things like that. And, and I think around the holidays, those things, those broken relationships get really magnified. And I just really want to be able to bring some peace and healing to every heart in this place today because um, I truly want us all to live a wonderful life. So you may not feel like you need this message today, but you're going to need it someday. So might as well pay attention now. And I'd also love if today you could actually be sitting in this place realizing that God wants you to hear this message. I think sometimes it's so easy for our brains to go, man, Betty needs to hear this message. I'm going to send this one to Joe. You know? Like we go, oh, this person, that person needs to hear this. Oh my gosh, that's so them. No, but today, there's time for that later. But today, in this moment, could we actually allow God to speak to us and maybe reveal to us things that are in our own hearts that we need to handle and address today? You know, so I'm going to share a very short and very elementary biology lesson on the human heart. Don't expect too much. (laughs) The human heart gives life to the entire body. It works like a pump, sending blood to every extremity, which keeps us alive. Our hearts are meant to bring us life, but they can also bring devastation when arteries begin to build up with unhealthy things. And that buildup creates blockages which prevent healthy blood flow. And when blood flow is blocked, an area of the heart muscle begins to die, which results in a heart attack, which is the title of my message this morning, heart attack. True for our physical heart and true for our spiritual heart. The health of our physical heart affects the entire body. And the health of your spiritual heart affects your whole life. So I want to be honest today with the state of our own hearts and allow God to do the work that he needs to do in us today. And examining our hearts is so imperative. We must take time to examine what's on the inside of our hearts and the blockages that may be forming because the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, which means above Everything else that we could do, the Bible says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And it talks about in the NLT, it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs all the issues of life. And the Bible also says in Proverbs 23, 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, So is he, so is the man. So those two scriptures tell us that whatever's in your heart will determine how you behave, that will determine who you are, that will dictate your future. We must examine our hearts because you can see when someone is ravaged with bitterness and unforgiveness. You see it in their face. You see it in their demeanor. You hear it by the words that are coming out of their mouth. And I am convinced that every single person that's allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to grow in their heart serve on every HOA board in (laughs) San Diego. 
I mean, come on. I mean, they're clearly miserable. And what they're hell-bent on making sure everybody else's life is miserable. Like, come on. We gotta deal with what's in our hearts. But let's look at the Bible as an example. So let's go back to like the beginning, like the way beginning of time, Adam and Eve, first two humans on the planet. And then Eve bore Cain and Abel, the third and fourth human beings on the planet. Okay, so the Bible tells us, doesn't tell us much about Cain and Abel, but he tells us a couple things. He says that Cain was a tiller of the ground and that Abel was a keeper of the sheep. That's all we know. But then the Bible says, in the process of time, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord, and so did Abel. And the Bible tells us that the Lord was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but the Lord was displeased with Cain's sacrifice, and that his countenance fell, and he became angry. So Cain became angry over his offering that was not pleasing to the Lord, and he he rose up in anger, and his anger resulted in him killing his brother Abel. Like, does anyone else read this and go, wow, that response seems a little extreme for the situation, a little extra. Like, seriously. So we have no idea the history of Cain and Abel and their relationship. We have no idea what went on when they were being brought up by Adam and Eve. At this point, all we know that there was a process of time that passed. And I think we can realize that in the process of time that passed, Cain didn't process very well. Because how does someone who processes well that has a pure heart do evil things such as murder. So in the process of time, when he was given time to heal his heart and overcome offenses, maybe overcome some rejection from his parents, or maybe Abel antagonized him, or maybe there was some jealousy and unhealthy competition between the brothers. We have no idea, but all I know is that in the process of time, Cain did not process well, because the Bible tells us in Matthew 15, 17 through 20, do not yet, under, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. Cain did not process well over time. He allowed blockages to build up so much so that his response to what seemed to be an unfortunate situation turned into murdering his brother. So I want to ask us all a question. How have we processed over time? How have we processed over time the things that have been done to you or said to you or the things that you've been called or the things that should have been done for you, but weren't. Or for the people that were supposed to protect you, but didn't. Or the people that were supposed to care about you most, you felt abandoned by. How have you processed over time? Can you honestly say your heart's free from blockages? 
that have allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to manifest in your heart that rob you of peace, rob you of rest, and rob you of a wonderful life. You know, I always haven't processed well, and I've allowed things to fester that was not producing good things in my life. There was a time a while back where I was in the most beautiful place, beautiful scenery around my favorite people, and everyone was just having the best time. We were all sitting around and laughing and sharing stories and jokes and reminiscing. And while all that was going on, somewhere in that conversation, my mind began to wander. I believe what triggered it was a person's name was mentioned. And I completely disengaged, not even knowing, I disengaged from the conversation that was happening and I had a full dialogue in my mind going on. I was recalling every situation and every offense where this person had wronged me. I was replaying years of frustrations in my head. And I know I was in this place for a significant period of time, missing out on the joy that was actually presented to me right in front of me. And I remember I had been in this place and I was getting, I mean, my countenance changed, my feelings changed. I was, I was unhappy while I was processing and replaying all of these things. And the Holy Spirit, it was like, he just like smacked me in the face. And he's like, how long are you going to be robbed of the present joy by replaying these things that aren't making you better but bitter? How many hours have you wasted? Hours upon hours, countless hours, my energy, my headspace, my time have been robbed from me, not because of what the person did, but because I allowed those things to remain and fester in my heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, he lives like, how long are you going to continue to be miserable in these moments? And I just thought, what am I doing? Why am I, I mean, the wrong was done. I can't change that, but I'm going to continually feel wronged over and over and over again. And it was like, and then this moment, the Holy Spirit made me realize that I was making myself miserable. I, myself, was robbing myself of joy, of life, of the abundant life that God had for me. I was being robbed of a wonderful life because I allowed these things to fester and I harbored bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'm just wondering how many of us in this room could relate to my story today. In that moment, I truly repented. I repented from harboring unforgiveness I repented from holding on to things that allowing bitterness to form, and I asked God to remove every bitter root inside of my heart and to help me release forgiveness. I literally had to give every situation over to the Lord, the one who could right every wrong. He is the one that can right every wrong. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. No one, evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, listen, do not avenge yourselves, 
but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And I know this can be challenging because we want justice. Like we, we inherited a sense of justice from our creator because he is just. He is just. When we get into trouble is when we are determined to bring justice with our own hands. When he is the one that is supposed to bring it. And the problem with making, if you are determined that I'm going to bring just, I'm going to write this and I'm going to make sure everybody knows, what happens is that you will experience no peace until justice is served. So what happens if justice isn't served the way you will like it or in the time frame that you demand? You will have no peace in your life. And even if justice comes, when it comes, you still have to deal with the blockages that you allowed to build up on the inside your heart every day that passed until justice was served. You do not win when you are determined to be the justice bringer. And I know this is, this is, this was the most difficult lesson for me because many of you know, before I was a pastor, I was a probation officer for violent criminals and my whole job for seven years to bring justice, to find out every piece of criminal history this person had, to find out if they were repentant or, or unrepentant in their heart and to tell the judge and the district attorney and the defense attorney how long this person deserves to be in prison for. Seven years of me being completely consumed with being justice to every wrongdoer. So when I crossed over and God called me into ministry, I had to work this desire to bring justice on my own out. And God even revealed to me not too long ago that I still had an issue with having to bring justice with my own hands. And that was why I wasn't living with any sense of peace. I mean, many of you know my brother um, a year and a half ago was killed in Mexico while crossing the street and he was hit by a car, it was a hit and run. My family and I happened to be on vacation the day or in Cabo when he was hit. So by the grace of God, we were able to be at uh, the hospital within 30 minutes of him, him being struck by the car. And he battled for his life for seven days until he went to go be with the Lord. And that was such a difficult journey for us to have to walk through, to be making the medical decisions to try to save or prolong, or what, all of the things that come along with that. And I remember going, having been so traumatized and dealing with such trauma in my heart. And then, and then it was up to me to try to, you know, compile all of his belongings and, and everything that he owed. And all of these things was on my shoulders. And then I remember my brother there was someone he had, he had lent his vehicle to and his motorcycles to and his surfboards to to be given to them for a period of time, but to be returned. And this person decided to not return my brother's belongings. And I remember my brother in his life, when he was alive, tried to find this person that had run with all of his property. And it caused him so much frustration and anger and bitterness. And so when after my brother died, I was like, I am going to right this wrong. And I, because I was an investigator before, I knew what to do. And so I investigated this individual. I actually hired a private investigator. I was at the police department multiple times. I actually was able to track down not just their address, which everything had been shipped to Hawaii. I also found their in-laws address and their phone numbers. And here's the deal. No one would do anything about it. So I had to contact law enforcement and give them all. I mean, I was like, I was going to bring justice to my brother. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this was a six-month process. 
what I finally wrote this individual letter and I and I begged them to make this situation right and to return my brother's property that could be sold to go towards $100,000 in medical bills. And this person responded to me. He says, good luck finding me. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of peace in that moment. I had revenge in my heart. I wanted justice and I wanted to be the one to pay it to him. I wanted to look in his face and tell him all of the extra trauma and pain he was causing the family and heartache. And I remember meeting with Mike Connell and he's like, Becky, it's right to want justice to be done to this situation. But do you see what it's doing to your own soul? Like you're not sleeping at night. You're investigating. You're, it's constantly on your mind. Like it consumed you. It's like you've got to let it go and let God so you can have peace restored to your soul. And that, I'm telling you, that process to let it go took me some time. I was like, Lord, I, I give it again to you. I give it again to you. But over time, God was the one who brought justice. They showed up at his house and they took everything away in the middle of the night. Good luck getting to work, buddy. But see, God, God did it. And when I tried to do it, there was no peace in my life. Let God bring the justice. You know, it says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality when it comes to the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Know that you were called to this. Like we were called to it. Like we can do it. That you may inherit a blessing. Oh my goodness. So do these scriptures mean that we have to remain in close proximity to one that continually does us wrong? Do we unnecessarily have to subject ourselves to the one who knowingly or unknowingly causes offense and pain? No, not at all. Yet we can still be courteous. We can still be kind. And we can live peaceably when it is up to us so that we may inherit a blessing and not the curse of bitterness and unforgiveness. Amen. Amen. You know, there was a story that happened in my life a while back. And I remembered this lesson that Pastor Jurgen taught me that has really helped me make sure I don't um, allow blockages to form in my heart. Pastor Jurgen had reached out and said that he needed to meet with me and talk something through. And when we sat together, we all know that Pastor Jurgen is the most joyful, encouraging, lover of people, always a smile on his face, always willing to embrace. But as we sat down, he shared with me that I had wounded him really deeply with some careless words I had said to him. And he said, I... And, and I knew in that moment, I was like, I did not intend to wound. I was just being careless and flippant. I had no idea the weight of, the, of my words that carried him and how, how it wounded him. So obviously, even though I didn't intend to wound, I did. So it was my responsibility to make it right. 
And, you know, we sat down and he said, he goes, I had no idea that I had been wounded so deeply by those words. And I had no idea that I even harbored any um, unforgiveness towards you until you walked into the room and I didn't want to smile when I saw you. Like, wow, I could cry. Like, that he couldn't smile when he saw me. And then he realized, oh, I want to be able to smile when I see Victoria. That's what he said. And so he's like, so I have to sit with you and process this. And we need to talk it out. And we did. And we completely restored the relationship. But I think there's a valuable lesson in that. We don't always realize that we're harboring offenses or bitterness. But are there people in your life that when they walk into the room, you can't smile? Married people, can you smile when your spouse walks into a room? Have we harbored little offenses and frustrations so much so that we can't smile when we see them anymore? We used to be able to smile, but now that smile has turned into a glare filled with disappointment and disdain. Do you get triggered when you hear that person's name? When someone is celebrating the person that had wounded you in the past, do you have to give a disparaging remark? Because in Matthew 13, 34 and 37, it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. I'm not saying that the negative feelings and the reactions are not justified. I'm not saying that, so please hear me correctly. But do you want there to be blockages in your heart? Do you want to be robbed of joy, of peace, of a wonderful life, of freedom? That's why we need to forgive and release bitterness because your life and your quality of life hangs in the balance over it. I don't think if anyone was honest, be like, I want a miserable life. I want to be bitter. I want to be frowning. I want to be on an HOA board. Like, <laughs> no. No one wants that, yet we choose to live with it because we won't release forgiveness. There's an illustration, a parable in Matthew 18. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And this parable starts off with Peter coming to Jesus, and he says, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Like, seven times? Like, is that enough? to have to forgive someone who's wounded me or offended me? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And I have a feeling some of you are doing the math right now and you can't wait till you get to 491 so that you can say good riddance. But we all know that's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus was trying to help us understand, there can be no limit to how many times we release forgiveness to someone, not for the sake of the offender, but for your sake, for your sake. 
And we continue on in this parable, and it says there was a king, there was a master, and he had a servant that owed him 10,000 talents, a massive debt that could really never be paid back. (coughs) And the servant pleaded for grace because he was going to be thrown into prison. And in this Bible parable says that the master, the king, had mercy and compassion on him, and he forgave the huge debt owed him, and he sent him on his way in grace. But then that servant who had just been forgiven that massive debt for all of his wrongs went out and found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And that servant demanded that the fellow servant pay him back all that was due him or he would turn him over to the prisons. And the person begged and pleaded for grace and mercy, yet the servant that had been forgiven refused to extend forgiveness for even a smaller debt. And someone was watching this take place and they saw the wrong that was being done. And they ran to the master, the king, and said, the servant that you forgave much refuses to to release forgiveness to someone who needs to be forgiven of little. So the master calls for this servant and he says this in Matthew 18, 32 through 35. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have the compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all the debt due him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses." The one who was unforgiving was the one who was imprisoned and tortured and tormented. The state of our life is at stake when we do not release forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Gosh, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So when we choose not to forgive, you choose to stay under the curse of sin and the law and judgment. And you are unable, you are disqualified from experiencing the love, forgiveness, and grace of God. And then Hebrew reminds us in 1215, it says, look after each other. Like look after each other to make sure not one of you falls to receive or fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. We need to look out for one another. We need to tune our ear into the words that are coming out of their heart. Are they carrying unforgiveness? Are they carrying bitterness in their hearts? We need to look out for one another so that they can stay under grace and not fall into the curse of sin and torment. We need to help each other to love them correctly, letting them know that there are blockages in their heart that are not serving them well. And I know that the offenders do not deserve forgiveness and they may never ask for it or even feel sorry, which is really hard. It's really hard. But you deserve to live 
a wonderful life, free from torment and free from the curse of the law. Amen. Amen. This really is all about you today and the wonderful life that God's calling you to. As I was preparing this message, I got a really vivid vision and I wrote it down and, and I wanna read it over you as you close your eyes and just listen. But as you're listening, if you could reflect in your own heart, if there's anything that you are holding on to that you need to let go of, or a person you are holding on to that you need to let go of. In this vision, I saw a person who'd been so wounded, offended, and they were deeply grieved. When you looked at their face, you could see the anguish in it. They had tears welling up in their eyes that were also full of anger, but such vulnerability. And they were straining, they were exhausted, depleted as they held onto change that were thrashing around in their hands. The chains held the one who hurt them. But the perpetrator would not relent as he continued to try and break free from the grip of your chains. In the vision, the perpetrator didn't even seem weary at all. They seemed unaware of who or what was holding them. The perpetrator was not wearied, but the one holding the chains was completely worn out. And then they heard the voice of the Heavenly Father that was filled with such love and compassion cry out and plead with them. Just let them go. Just let them go. And I could see the struggle in the eyes of the weary one, wanting relief from the anguish, but torn because they didn't know if they could let them go. They had held on for so long and letting go made them afraid. But as they continued to listen to the loving voice of the Father, just let them go. Let me, let them go and let me. They began to loosen their grip and the chains were able to pass through their hands until they fell to the floor. As the chains hit the ground and left their hands, so did the struggle, the exhaustion, the weariness, the anguish. The torment immediately lifted as they collapsed to the ground. And you could see this person in this vision for the first time, their body was relaxed. Their breathing started to calm. Their tears began to dry. As they rested and whispered, it's over, I'm done, it's over. It's finally finished. You know, this person's freedom and rest and peace was always available to them, but they could not experience it until they let the person go. Will you let go today?
and let God bring peace and justice and rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me teach you. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Amen. There's a beautiful passage of scripture in Isaiah 61 where God's people were in a lot of pain and they were wearied and they were mourning, the Bible says. And in that scripture, the Lord says he will give them beauty for ashes. He'll give you beauty for ashes. But the thing about ashes is they aren't smoldering anymore. The fires died out. God wants to give you beauty for ashes, but you need to let the ashes become ashes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is all about you and your heart. The blockages may be big, the blockages may be small, but do you care enough about the quality of your life to remove those things so you can experience the love and grace of God and the wonderful life that he has for you? It's up to us today. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's up to us. Let me pray over you. Go ahead and stand to your feet and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister. Lord, we thank you for ministering to hearts today. Lord, we pray for those who have suffered and have been wronged. Lord, we know that there are people in here today that suffered unthinkable things. And we pray they would be supernaturally comforted. Lord, minister to the ones who were neglected, rejected, abandoned, and forgotten by the ones who should have loved them the most. Give them the strength to forgive and to release the ones that have wounded them so they can experience freedom and grace and mercy that you have for them. Lord, I thank you that you can make all things new. Lord, that you can take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That you can restore the years that the locusts have eaten and repay them for all of the things that were stolen from them. God, I thank you for the plan and the purposes that you have for every single person in this room. Plans to prosper them and not to harm them. To give them a future and a hope. I pray that every heart would be filled with hope today that blockages would be removed and the blood of life would begin to flow, restoring joy, restoring peace, restoring them to live the wonderful life. God, that they would be in awe and wonder of all that you have done and will you continue to do for them and through them. Lord, bring healing. God, bring restoration. 
Lord, my prayers, and then they would look at the future. They would smile. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.